0: The interviews and discussions on this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello, I'm Peter Stracken. welcome to Stockhead's Rock Yarn. Frontier Energy is firmly focused on a renewable energy future. The company has expanded its land holdings along the Western Australian coastline, south of Perth. These project areas, where it plans to build solar plus hydrogen production capacity to support the state's southwest interconnect power system, are well located with respect to power transmission infrastructure. Here to update us on the company's activities, we're pleased to welcome its Managing Director, Sam Limowen. Thanks for joining us today at Stockhead, Sam. Can you just outline Frontier's concept for building a well-located solar power plant with energy storage in the state's southwest?
1: Well, firstly, thank you for having me on the podcast, Peter. It's wonderful to be here. By way of introduction, Frontier Energy is developing the Bristol Springs Renewable Energy Project located 120 kilometers south of Perth. And one of the key aspects of Frontier Energy's Bristol Springs project is its location. Now, it's located on the heart of the Swiss and it is surrounded by critical infrastructure. One of the key attributes is securing a connection onto an unconstrained part of the network. Stage one of Bristol's of our Bristol Springs project is to deploy 120 megawatts of solar connected onto the Southwest interconnected system. Now, essentially, what that means is that we'll be selling our energy into the wholesale electricity market in WA. Now, our solar project, it performs really well during the peak energy pricing periods, which is the morning peaks and the afternoon peaks. And what this means for us is that here in Western Australia, there's been a significant transition to renewable energy and average prices over the trailing 12 months in WA averaged around $86 a megawatt megawatt hour, which is a 43% increase over the trailing 12 months. And over the last two years, that's a 76% increase in energy prices. So stage one of our project is to deploy the 120 megawatts of solar and actually capture the advantages of being connected onto the grid and these higher pricing periods during the peak periods.
0: So you'll be selling your power wholesale uh, throughout the day from like seven o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning in the summer, right through to five, maybe six o'clock in the afternoon in the the summer.
1: That's correct, Peter. So... On an average basis, here in West Australia, during solar periods, prices over the twelve uh, the twelve month period, the last twelve months in WA, average around seventy two dollars a megawatt hour, which is a thirty seven percent increase over the last twelve months and a seventy three percent increase over the past two years. So. In summary, the average energy prices in WA have increased up to $86 a megawatt hour. And specific to solar energy, we've seen an increase up to $72 a megawatt hour. So this provides a really good opportunity for Frontier Energy to deploy its solar as a stage one development project.
0: Yeah. So at this point, has Frontier looked at where it's going to source the materials of construction like solar panels and other infrastructure for the project?
1: Yeah, so Frontier Energy, earlier in the year we completed a DFS and what we are currently doing is a study to update those numbers. So we are considering inflation and any changes in import, export fees, et cetera. So we are completing a study to firm up on our, our capital numbers. But in terms of the solar panels The inverters the trackers the transformers etc this is very very mature technology and it's widely available so we are working to update our numbers and firm up on 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 these uh the capital and firm up on the technology
0: yeah a lot of that equipment as you say is pretty much off the shelf. So that would be your first stage. Then of course, you've got the, the um, second stage, which goes into storing some of that technology in the middle of the day when often the power price can be quite low. And then having that available for the peak periods from like 5.30 till um, eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the
1: evening. So in terms of storage during midday periods when energy prices are, are low, The first thing what i'll say is actually pricing have been on the increase during midday periods and that's largely driven by the increase in demand so that is electrification of everything so it's deployment of evs it's uh, deployment of new businesses getting connected onto the network uh, more cooling loads etc so prices are increasing during the day however it's, it still needs to move up significantly to make the economic case. So this is where storage during the day becomes quite important. And Frontier's strategy is to develop a hydrogen production plant. Now, what this essentially means is that during the day when our opportunity cost is low, we can dispatch our hydrogen production plant and we can actually use water to, uh, to create hydrogen And that hydrogen can be stored, which is long-duration energy storage. The technology is very mature. And then as and when required, we can then dispatch that hydrogen through a power plant to provide that energy back into the grid. So essentially, unlike batteries, which is great for short-duration energy storage, hydrogen provides a long-duration energy storage solution.
0: Yeah, and what sort of uh, storage facility would you need there, uh, these high-pressure tanks for the hydrogen?
1: That's right. So again, the technology is very mature. Today, globally, we produce over 100 million tonnes of hydrogen. We store it and we transport uh, transport it globally. The fundamental aspect here is that hydrogen is produced predominantly from uh, fossil fuels, so it's carbon intensive. In the case of Frontier Energy, we've secured a connection onto the water corporation, the state-owned water corporation uh, sterling trunk main asset. And we will be taking water from an existing desalination plant. So we've secured a 15-year contract for for water. And using our solar energy, which is 100% renewable, means that our hydrogen is 100% clean. It's green. When you burn it, you get two things. You get heat and water vapor.
0: So the advantage or the difference between uh, Frontier uh, storing its power in uh, as hydrogen effectively uh, or another project storing its uh, power in lithium-ion batteries is that the lithium-ion batteries are good for like two to four hours, but your storage will be longer and potentially enable the project to be a power supplier 24-7.
1: That's right, Peter. So let's let's look at the capex and just a high-level look at the economics. We are currently studying a 120-megawatt dual-fuel PICA plant, meaning that it can run on hydrogen and it can run on backup natural gas. In terms of the hydrogen plant, the hydrogen plant is proposed to be a 72-megawatt hydrogen production plant. And the dual fuel peaker plant is a 120 megawatt peaker plant. Now, 120 megawatt peaker plant is roughly around 150 million dollars. And if we had to deploy um, additional storage, so we produce the hydrogen and we provide storage for, let's just say, 14 hours of storage. So we can run 120 megawatts of power dispatched over a 14-hour period. That's roughly around 1,400 megawatt hours of energy being dispatched. In order for us to do exactly the same thing with a battery, we'd need to deploy a 1,400 megawatt hour battery. And battery prices on average is around $1.9 million a megawatt. So that is we're talking about billions of dollars to do exactly what our hydrogen plant and our pica plant would do. Now, this is why batteries are very good technology for short-term energy duration, for frequency control, for grid stability. But in terms of dispatchable energy and long duration storage, this is where hydrogen is much more efficient and economic to, to deploy the assets and also to deploy that dispatch that energy.
0: Yeah. Of course, there's flow battery technology, which is the vanadium redox and the zinc bromide, which have a, a longer duration storage. But also, I mean, they're quite costly to install.
1: That's right. And battery technology is evolving uh, daily um, and undoubtedly it will continue to evolve. Uh, it does It does require maturity in price and it also requires a substantial uh footprint
0: so Sam the, the 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 only revenue stream well the, the single revenue stream from this project is going to be the power you produce um, but the the differentiation will be that the power um, over time once you move into the hydrogen production will be time shifted so be able to uh, extract higher prices for that power you're producing and storing.
1: That's right. So let's just unpack that uh, very quickly. So the solar stage one has three main revenue uh, re- revenue uh, streams. The first one being direct energy sales into the wholesale electricity market. And we can do that because we are one of the only companies to have a connection onto the grid. And we have a connection at an unconstrained part of the grid. Now that energy sales, it drives about $16 million of revenue. And the second revenue stream is we create carbon credits in the form of LGCs, large-scale generation certificates. And those certificates, they are on average trading for around $56 in LGC. We were quite conservative in our modeling and used $45 in LGC. That drives around an $11 million revenue uh, as well. And the third aspect, which is very unique to WA, unique to West Australia, we have the reserve capacity markets. And the reserve capacity markets is operated by the Australian energy market operator, where generators get paid um, at the moment. It's forecast to be $220,000 a megawatt. And for our solar farm, we forecast around between 10 and 20% of uh, our nameplate capacity to generate reserve capacity payments, which brings us to around about a $30 million EBITDA. Now, when you consider $30 million EBITDA at a 15 multiple, that's a $450 million company just on stage one solar, notwithstanding that we have substantial land to increase over time to about a gigawatt, and our connection capacities as well. Stage two of our project is to deploy a a hydrogen fuel PICA plant. And because it's a firm generator of power, we get reserve capacity payments of $220,000 a megawatt multiplied by 120, which is around $26 million. And uh, without going into too much of detail, because there's a supply-demand deficit, the Australian market operator provides a 1.3 times multiple to the $220,000, which roughly is around $270, $280 million. Uh, sorry, $1,000 per megawatt, which means that we can have a guaranteed revenue for Stage Two on the peaker plant around $34 million. Now, when we also sell energy from the peaker plant directly into the grid roughly around $6 million, that's $40 million at a 15 multiple, and including the stage one solar, that's under a billion dollar company there together. And then the third aspect of it is uh, which requires government support and subject to a subsidy from the Australian government, we will deploy the hydrogen production plant which essentially captures our spill energy during the daytime, produces hydrogen, and then uses that hydrogen as fuel into the peaker plant. So I did go into a bit of detail there, but in a nutshell, that's the way it works. Yeah, no, that's that's
0: fine. But I mean, once once you're in that position, should the the power price uh, drop below zero at any time during the day, you could actually be paid to take that power off the grid and turn it into hydrogen once you've got that electrolyzer in place.
1: That's a really good point, Peter. So in the market, the hydrogen electrolyzer, because we are connected into the grid, uh, we can qualify for various ancillary services. So on demand side, as you say, we can get paid to dispatch our hydrogen production plant and its energy storage. We can get paid for frequency control and ancillary services and non-co-optimized energy Uh, essential system services. These are other revenue streams available to us in the wholesale electricity market because we have that grid connection.
0: So on my solar panel system, I get uh, during the day, I get $30 a megawatt hour for anything that goes into the power grid, three cents a kilowatt hour up until um, three o'clock in the afternoon. Will you be taking that price in the first instance or will you have some uh, additional arrangement to sell
1: power? It's a great question. Uh, We benchmarked that in any case where we are not producing hydrogen and we are dispatching our energy into the market, we have benchmarked it against the lowest prices, which is rooftop solar. So you're referring to our definitive feasibility study that we published early in the year. And what that shows is during the daytime, we are actually arbitraging our energy. So any energy that we are not using in our hydrogen production plant, we essentially use the grid as battery storage. So by that, we can sell our energy at $30 a megawatt hour into the grid. And then at night, when we want our power back, we can buy it during off-peak uh, periods and that's an, on an average price around $68 a megawatt hour. So essentially, what we are doing is we are arbitraging our energy, and we're using the grid as a virtual battery.
0: So that yeah, that that's, uh, gives you. And and so what's the third stage? Uh, as you see for the for the development uh, past the the standard uh, solar plant and then the electrolyzer, how does the third stage? Uh, fold out.
1: So just to summarize, uh, stage one is de- deployment of the 120 megawatt solar. Stage two would be uh, subject to the economic you know, studies for the hydrogen-fueled peaking plant. That's a key component for hydrogen because we'd need somewhere to put the hydrogen uh, as a user. Uh, so we'd need an asset to actually use the hydrogen, which is the peaker plant. The peaker plant is stage two, and then stage three would be subject to government subsidies uh, slash grants. We will deploy the hydrogen production plant. So those are the three stages, solar, hydrogen peaking plant, and then the hydrogen production plant. So
0: how far has the company got down the sort of funding options path? I mean, you've done some fairly detailed feasibility work. Um, what's the, what are the funding options for this project?
1: So the federal government uh, announced a $2 billion hydrogen head start subsidy. So the program is targeting um, a, a, a few projects. so it could be up to five projects to support in early stage uh, early stages of their hydrogen industry. The subsidy round opened up for an expression of interest uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it actually closes on the 10th of November. Frontier Energy is positioned very well to submit an application for that funding, and we will be notified uh, by the end of January, according to government's timelines, on whether or not we make it through to the next round. The final round uh, following January will be due in June slash July and following that round we will be notified whether or not we are successful in funding. The funding is looking at closing the gap between the cost of production and, um, and an incumbent fuel as a baseline fuel. For example, the, the gap between how much we would require um, to be paid and how much, for example, natural gas would be as an equivalent. Okay, so um,
0: you've, you've sort of strayed on to the, the final question, really, which is the expected news flow for the company over the next 12 months. I mean, you've done your feasibility work. Um, you've really sort of dotted I's and crossed T's in, in most areas, but now you're looking for these uh, subsidy uh, opportunities that are come, going to come through over the next six months. What should shareholders be looking for in uh, in Frontier?
1: So the major catalyst to look forward to is, firstly, we announced a uh, transaction with Waruna Energy. And if I may, Waruna Energy's project area is immediately north of ours. Our projects shared many similarities and our teams have been working very closely together on our projects, so it actually made a lot of sense to combine these uh, for increased scale. So together, the projects, the solar footprint will create 355 megawatts of solar project with development approvals, clearing permits already in place. And once the transaction is completed, uh, our market cap will be larger our land holdings will increase and our connection capacities onto the grid will also increase. So you can look forward to an announcement in mid-December for the completion of that transaction. We've also have our definitive um, feasibility study update. So the study that we are doing on the solar, the 120 megawatts as we speak. So in January, we'll have that uh, announced and, and released. And then we are moving into funding slash financing. We are aiming to uh, start construction in first half of 2024. So these are the, the major catalysts to look forward to. Yeah. All right.
0: That's, that's good. You'll have uh, all the things you need to know in place and be able to go out to the funding community and uh, hopefully get uh, things moving in the second half of next year. Sam, thank you very much for coming in to Stockhead today to talk to us at Rock Yarn. And uh, I think uh, investors will be able to look closely at Frontier and see the developments as they uh, come through over the next uh, three to six months.
1: Thank you, Pisa. Thank you for having me on the show.